Yo, keep checking out Graffiti Talk Radio. Brothers got something going on here, man. That's what's up. Support is real. Graffiti Talk Radio, this your boy Fresh, the home of the back beats, back spins, and back stories. And I got my partner in crime, Bumble Clock. Bumble Clock, where you at? Right here, homie. You know what your deal is. Yeah, and I got my other partner in crime, Danky. Danky, where you at? What's up? I'm right here. Yeah, and uh, today we got a, a special guest, Vicious Lee from the legendary Rap-A-Lot group, L4. So, Vicious Lee, it's good to have you on the show, man. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no Thank problem. Thank you. Yeah, because uh, first, you know, starting off, you know, I just want to say that it's good to have you on the show, man, because, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm, the, I'm the self-proclaimed, you know, rap a lot hate, you know what I'm saying? Because, like I say, you know, it's just, you know, studying it from the beginning to what it is not, man, and it's just a blessing for me to just be talking to everybody who I grew up listening to, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, you know, starting off, man, you know, what part of Brooklyn did you did you grow up in? I was born in Bed-Stuy, raised in Flatbush, moved to Philadelphia, and then came to Houston. Oh, okay. I, spent, I spent some time in Philadelphia prior to coming to Houston. Right. Okay. So uh, during that time, when did when did you start to, to get into music? I had always been into. Well, I guess back in Brooklyn, um, I had an uncle who was a DJ, and also a stepfather who was actually in Houston now, Dr. Freddie Brown from KTSU. Um, so that's what kind of got my start in music. My family has always been kind of musically inclined. I had some cousins that were in bands, and we had a little band when we were younger. But the the hip-hop thing kind of picked up off of being a DJ. Word, word. Okay, okay. Yeah, so uh, what what year did you, did you actually just jump into it all the way? Um, I guess it would have to be 86 when I moved to Houston. Um, I was doing some small, like, mobile DJ, well, not even small mobile, but some mobile DJ stuff in Philadelphia with a group called Galaxy 5, who at one point put out a record, which was an actual rap record. It was about the Philadelphia 76ers called right, Keep, right. Keep, Keep It On. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was a part of the mobile DJ group that the MCs on the record came from. Okay. We okay. did some work with um, a guy named Kay Williams, who has since passed away. Rest in peace, Kay Williams. Back in Philly. My man. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, when you started uh, doing the DJ, when, when did you uh, run into the... Uh, to the other members we I formed up for. Who who was the first one you okay. came across? Well, my brother was was one of the members, my brother John B. Yeah. Um, Prince E B C and actually DJ Ready Red were the actual first four members of Death Four. The what original was the, form number. Where, where was it formed at? Was it formed in it, it was formed in, in, in No, it was formed in A-Leaf, out at okay. my stepfather's house. Where, um, in 1986, Magic 102 was doing a back-to-school kind of campaign. Okay. And 
they commissioned Prince Easy C to write a song on that on that topic of back to school. So the song Schoolboy Crush was actually the first song that was done by Death Force, but it was actually for Magic 102's back to school campaign in 1986. Wow. Oh, and that's okay. where the, the group came from. Okay. Okay. I read somewhere. Uh, I read somewhere where uh, it, like Ready Red, didn't actually start with y'all though. He did. What the the group was not really a group. We really didn't. Yeah, you know, we hadn't really formed a name. It was just a bunch of DJs that got together to put this song together. Therefore, right. it was actually a group of DJs where one of them just happened to rap. Actually, Lonnie Mac rapped too, but he didn't do that much. Rapping in the group that for, but when he was in Casanova Crew, he was one of the main rappers in Casanova Crew. Wow! All right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, was it around this time you had started uh, making a name for yourself around Houston, and uh, when did uh, when did Jay Prince come into the picture? What happened? Is Red ended up, Red was down um, visiting with, well, staying with his sister who was going through some stuff and, um, you know, some personal issues. So he came down to show with his sister, and we met him at a club called Flames on Gessner and Beechner. We knew he wasn't from around here because he came in with a raccoon hat on and a coat with spray with spray painted words on the back that say King Funk Disco. <laughs> there there are pictures of that jacket somewhere. Yeah. And red looking like that. When he walked into that club, my brother and I were DJing at Flames at the time. Word. And the Prince E Z C and DJ Lonnie Mac were people that just used to come to the club, but they were in a group called the um Casanova crew at the time. Word. So the the two kind of melded around Red, and we all just started hanging out and doing music together. My dad had a stupid record collection. So all of us being DJs, a lot of the stuff that we did initially was all done straight off of records, like no samplers involved. It was all four-track tape and four DJs doing four different things all at the same time. That's crazy. It's how we put together our demo tape. We didn't have a sample to do our demo tape. Wow. So when the Ghetto Boys needed a DJ, Red went up there. Um, I'm not sure how he got the word that they needed a DJ up at Rap-A-Lot. But we went up there, and that's how Red became the Ghetto Boys DJ. But he always said, Yo, soon as the books open up and rap a lot, y'all going to be the first people I call because y'all looked out for me. Word, word. So, this, you know, the, the point came where he could get along on himself. Reg used to stay with us a lot at my stepdad's house out in Haley yes. on Cook Road. So that's Man. how we got to rap a lot. Reg okay. ended up coming coming back and helping us out with a beat for a song called Outlaw, which is also on the album. Word. Right, which was done on Red's 909. And we wrote we wrote the charts out on a paper napkin. Damn. And, and I want to say that paper napkin might still be around somewhere. That's crazy. <laughs> we actually, all, all the little beats are written out for for the song Outlaw, at least the drum beats. Are. Word. The samples, cool. like I said, we, all, we didn't have a sampler. Yeah. So all all the music that you hear that came from records was actually done off of a turntable. Damn. If you heard wow. the, the demo, it sounds just like the song does. That's crazy. The song did use a sampler. We used a Studio 440 to actually Man, do the wow. album with Doug King. Wow. Man, I tell you, if I was to see them napkins, man, I'd probably fall off, man. That'd be something to see. <laughs> right about yeah. now, day and age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially now with the advent of computers and all of that, we we didn't have any other way to record stuff. Yeah. And MIDI was in its infancy, and 
there really wasn't a whole lot of samplers around. In order to have a sampler, man, you had to know somebody who could get their hands on like a $7,000 Synclavier. Right. That's what was available until, you know, the SP-12s and the MPC-60 came out. And then, of course, the Studio 440, which is what we did our album. Yeah. Was made by Sequential Circuit. Man, so um, so when uh when when Rap a Lot ended up getting the deal with with A and M, right? They opened, yeah, that's yeah, when the books opened up. Right. They so, needed uh, they needed four groups for that deal. Right. Yeah, yeah. They had Raheem. Yep. They had right. the Ghetto Boys. Right. Yep. Enter Royal Flush and Death Four. And. The the beat for Outlaw is what got us on. So, but Red Red was and Jay had a, a white convertible 560 Mercedes that had more beat in the trunk than anything else on the street at that time. Right. And when he put that when he put that cassette tape in, and that 909 start dumping, the 909 808 start dumping, he was like, Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 you boys is on. We got it. The rest is history. His head yeah. started bobbing, and the rest is history. That's the only thing I can say, man. We ended up on rap a lot. Right. So wow. how, how was it? How, how was it working with Jay Prince, man? We didn't have too much hands-on with actually with Jay. Right. Jay. Jay focus most of his time on the ghetto boys. I mean, we'd see him, he'd come around, he'd come in, listen to see what's going on. But his main focus was really on the ghetto boys. And mm-hmm. um we were kinda of in the studio with Doug and at the time I was working. Um a full time job. I had kids that I had to take care of. And yeah. um so while the album was actually being done, I was working full time. But the guys um, John B, Prince EDC, and Lonnie Mack went in and stayed with Doug for about a month, Doug King. Yeah. And knocked the album out. But all the concepts were already there. We had done all the concepts for the song long before that. Word. There's uh, a, how about, a cassette tape around somewhere. <laughs> word. What about Carl Stevenson? Um, did he play a big part in anything? At that time, not, you guys are- not with us. Uh-uh. He, okay. he, okay. Was do- he was doing Raheem, and then when he finished Raheem, he went on the Royal Flush. Word, okay, okay. Which is how we ended up with Doug. And okay. not that it was anything personal, but Carl was kind of on a different type of vibe as Word. far as production-wise. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he had a, a method that didn't jive with, we were coming from a DJ background, yeah. all four of us. So our whole workflow was based on how would a DJ deal with it. Yeah. Because production at that point was pretty much up in the air for hip-hop. It, it, there was no cut-and-dry formula yet. Right. Yeah. So when he came to us and he wanted to play like this Oberheim expander keyboard and he wanted to, he wanted to get the emulator three instead of the the um MPC. Yeah. We knew that we weren't on the same page production wise. So they word. they got Doug the equipment that we pretty much asked for, put it in Doug's hands and we just did all the stuff at Doug's house. That's what's up. And we had a sampler and turntables as opposed to, like, a bunch of rack mount instruments and stuff like that. That just wasn't, like, we weren't coming from that. We were a sample-based group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Carl wasn't really a sample type of guy. He'd sample some stuff, but. Right. And I think that was all of our, you got to remember that, Three-fourths of my group was from New York. Yeah, yeah. Right. The other one was from Chicago. Yeah. So we were not really what the Houston sound 
you what you would think of when you think of the Houston Sam. Yep. Right, so uh, so uh, with, with everything with A and M going on, well, was y'all looking to do some work with A and M when the distribution deal was was happening? Well, well, what happened once once the deal fell through, and A and M just basically pulled out of it. It was like, well, not, and now Rapalot is stuck with four commercial groups when they had the Ghetto Boys initially as an underground group and we're continuing with them as an underground group right. until the A&M deal came. So now they go in and take a underground album, make it commercial to appease A&M. The A&M deal falls through. We got a commercial album. Ghetto Boys got a commercial album. Um, Royal Flush had a commercial album. One that, that should have gotten promotion and distribution and, Word. All of us would have probably been rich right now, but because A and M pulled out, there was no machine behind the Rapalot distribution deal. Right. They were used to dealing with the with the underground, and they had a couple of mom and pop distributors, but nothing like the A and M machine. Right. So our stuff pretty much sat in the bins. Yeah. Right. Ghetto Boys went back in and redid their album the way the Ghetto Boys were supposed to do their album. Right. Which album was that? Was that the Grip It on the other level? Um, or was it Making Trouble? It might have been Making Trouble. Okay. Yeah, that got because... switched around. Because there, there was two versions. It was like a clean version of it, and then they went back in and dirtied it back up again. Damn. Huh. Yeah, so so A and M had wanted the ghetto boys to do a clean album so right. they so they could get behind it. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, so we shot because, a video for Raheem's out for Raheem's single. Yeah. And and then uh and around that time y'all had a y'all had a song that y'all had did uh we got on and uh, it ended up became becoming a hit for heavy D. So can you elaborate on how all that went down? Well, if you watch the unsung, Teddy Riley, Teddy Riley will tell you that he sat in the studio and that melody came to him. <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily true. Right. And it probably makes good TV. Yeah. But the real deal was, at some point, Teddy Riley came and approached Rap-A-Lot about remixing songs for us. Word. One of them was We Got Our Own Thing. Word. Rap-A-Lot didn't have, I, I don't know if they had to, didn't want to deal with the New York machine. They were really big about trying to make it on Houston and not having any outside influence on it. So they turned Teddy Riley's deal down to remix songs for us. Right. Two months later, Heavy D's album came out. And if you check song titles, there are at least three songs with the same song title as what is on our album. That's crazy. I'm not not saying that anything got stolen. I ain't accusing nobody of nothing, but I'm, I'm just telling you, what I knew to happen. Teddy approached rap a lot about remixing songs for Death Four and for Royal Flush. Right. Rap a lot didn't want to pay him to do that. He went back to New York. Two months later, Heavy D's album drops, and there's a whole bunch of references to stuff on the Death Four album on Heavy D's album. Wow. That's crazy. That's so, crazy. so the so the other couple of songs that you're talking about was those songs on the Heavy D album, or they was on other artists' albums? They were on the Heavy D album, same title. Damn. Hell. So, what what was the other two songs? Do you remember? I'm 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 getting ready to look them up now. <laughs> yeah. I 
got my Google up right now. Yeah, man, cause uh, yeah, cause I tell you when I when I first first heard that uh that heavy D, man, I went crazy cause you know I was a I was a big boy then, so I was able to get my big boy swag on. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got a home thing, right? Easy does it, do it easy. Wow. It was just those two. Okay. Okay. But it, it, it was we got our own thing. And easy does it do it easy. Hey, what 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 work did you do on that Ghetto Boys album that you didn't get credit for? On the, I think it. Uh, I, I did the, all the pre-production recording. We can't be stopped, right? Well, we can't be stopped. Yes. Wow. At, at BPM Productions, we did a hundred hours of work, and it was me, the and the three Ghetto Boys. Red came in occasionally. Um. For the beats that he, because that album contained beats from various producers. There's multiple producers on this album. Word. John Beto ultimately got producer credit. Right. He came in and laid a couple of snare drums, and that was about it. But as far as putting together the song, building verse structure, yeah. all of that was me. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, man. And then they and then they took they took the Simply Strike and the eight track that we had at BPM Production and took it in the back to Sound Arts to the twenty four track studio and dumped everything. Dumped all the, the music out to individual tracks and they mixed it back in. And I didn't have anything at all to do with that. But the initial recording and the actual formatting of the songs and stuff, which was yeah. what I had. Wow. The grunt work. Yeah, the groundwork. What I did get out of it was a platinum record. Yep. Which I'm looking at right now. It is in my studio here at my house. That's what's up. Right. So, uh, well, was you able to do anything with uh, with Raw Flush? Did you do any production? No, they 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 were working with with Carl, and like I said, I didn't even have as much to do with the Death Four production as I should have. Because, like I said, I was working all the time. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I had a full-time job. And they were in the studio, like, 24-7. They stayed at Doug's house for about a month right. and knocked the album out. I could get over there every couple of days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so it was, it was another uh, Death Four album that was released on Rap Alive 2. Was you in on that one? We actually only had one album released on Rap Alive. We had a single release called Get Busy. Okay. Which is where DJ Wiz comes in. DJ Wiz produced the track and also did the scratches on Get Busy. Word. On SP12. On SP12, matter of fact. Not even at SP1200, but SP12. Two and a half seconds of sample time. Wow. If you listen to Get Busy right now, you wouldn't believe that that was two and a half seconds of sample time. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy yeah. shit. Yeah, man. So, uh, so who who all uh, outside of Rap a Lot? Who who all did you do productions for? Within Rap a Lot, I worked with Gangsta Nip. I did some stuff on well. They did the same thing, came to BPM Productions for the pre-production of Nip's album that Dopey produced. What? Oh, South Park Psycho. And, yeah, I heard all of that stuff before anybody. That was crazy. Yeah. Wow. Because, uh, yeah, because uh, thanks to Nip and uh, that, that South Park Psycho and uh, the Terrors, that was the very first mm-hmm. album that I heard from Rap a lot there. You know that 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 was it for me, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it went from there, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. So and, and look, it was another group on Rap Lock called the uh, the Two Bad Brothers. Did they? Two Bad Brothers. I don't yeah. think they ever came out, man. I'm friends with um with Slim on Facebook right now. You know, a lot of us still around. The Elite LB is out there. Um. 
King Ricardo from Royal Flush. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. Mon, even Mon G out there. That's they tight. bodyguard. Wow. Yeah, all of, you know that, and we all kind of keep in touch with each other on Facebook, man. Yeah, I was wondering, can you can you talk about the story about, uh, I guess, when Dana Dane came down one time and he got so drunk? Oh, he wow. <laughs> he could perform that song, Cinderella or something. You know he sure mean? could not. And Willie D got up there and did his version of it and yeah. rocked rock that shit at, at the what was the new Rhinestone Wrangling, which was the club that Jake got for us from um, for Rap-A-Lot. We actually had, like, life-size pictures. Our promotional pictures were the backdrop of the wall wow. outside that club at Tidwell and Parker. The Tidwell and Parker exit on 45. That's crazy. Did you witness any of the uh, the battle, the rap battle competitions that was going down, I guess, there maybe, or the other Wrangler? You talking about the original stuff that like Willie D would come in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my God, yeah, I have yes, I witnessed it. And and to this day, I still put Willie up against anybody as a battle rapper. To this Word. day, and I, I remember seeing Willie annihilate an entire line of people <laughs> in 1986. I'm talking about Willie was standing at the bar having a couple drinks. While everybody else is going, Willie uh, walk up there, walk down the line, look at everybody, get to the end of the line, get the mic in his hand, and talk about everybody from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, from the beginning of the line to the end of the line. <laughs> crazy. I've seen people walk off stage because Willie has talked about him so bad. And this That's... is straight off the top of his head. No battle rapping, written stuff at all. Straight freestyle. I, I, I'm talking about talk about the color of your shoelaces, and he did not know what color they were going to be. Damn. He will get you. I'm telling you, from from the bottom of your shoes to the top of your head. That's I put crazy. my money on Willie D today against That's any dope. battle rapper. What was the best <laughs> battle he had, or like was there? Because I, I remember somebody, somebody. I think it was Jukebox talking about Vanilla Ice was a. Uh, they would let Vanilla Ice, get, or I think it might have been Willie D somewhere. He said they let Vanilla Ice always kind of win so he could uh, battle Willie D in the end, and then he uh-huh. would just destroy him and shit. Was that like was that <laughs> was that funny shit or what? what I, I don't that? know. I, I I that that's news to me. I never heard about that one. Okay, okay. I I, I know Willie's boxing skills was just as good as his rap skills. Word. Yeah. He um. Supposedly, Melly Mel was like, now I got big respect for Mel as an MC, but he was also big and buff, and he was known to knock, you know, knock some people out. Well, Word. Until he ran up on Willie D. My man Were Will. you there? Were you there right. at the boxing No, no, I, was, uh, oh, uh, uh, I, missed, I missed it. Okay, okay. I missed it, but I heard about it. That yeah. I did hear about. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, well, what what's your memories on uh, NC Trahan? Man, I knew that was gonna come up somewhere. All right, the day of Raheem's video shoot, um, for dance floor, um, NC was pretty much running around making sure that everybody was good, Word. which she did all the time. NC always made sure that all of us was good. And um, so we end up at the club that night, and somehow some sort of argument breaks out. And me and Bushwick, the NC, NC had just bought me a beer called Black Mamba, so a 22-ounce beer back in the, the early 90s or 80s, the African beer. Word. And I was looking for NC to give him his change back. That's what I'm saying. He always looked out. I, I needed a beer. He bought me a beer. Yeah. I'm trying to give him his change back, and he's going outside angry about something. And he tells me and Bill, y'all go back in the building. Y'all go back in the building. But me and Bill both being hard-headed. We stand outside. He gets in the van and goes across the street. 
to the gas station. And from what I hear, he hit the guy with the van. And when he hit him, he kind of knocked him to the back of the car. Somebody in the car pops the trunk, and in the trunk is a shotgun that they stick in the window and shoot and see Trey in the face. Oh, man. Me and Bill are still standing in front of the club wondering what's going on. We hear boom, and both of us run over to the gas station. Um, We were the first two people to get over there, and when we got there, NC Train was still alive, but uh, it wasn't wasn't good and it wasn't pretty. Um, It pretty much peeled his face back. Damn. He got shot point blank in the face with a shotgun. Damn. The last time I saw Bill, Bill was sitting in his lap in the van. Damn. And, and as the police and ambulance get there, I'm crying and telling the, you know, where's the ambulance? Get... Yeah. The police arrest me for disturbing the peace. What? I got arrested. I got. I literally. I got arrested that night for That's disturbing crazy. the people for crying. That's crazy. I spent three days in jail and missed a funeral. Oh man! Wow. Man, the last memory I got of NC Trahan is of him taking his last few breaths. But NC always looked out for all of us. All of us. Every one of us. Right. If if, if you could ever think of ever having a guardian angel. Yeah. Yeah, that was him. Yeah, so... um, So, look, how how much time did you uh, get to spend with Bush with? You got in the bush with Bill Soros? Yeah. <laughs> There's always a bush with Bill <laughs> Everybody got Bushwick Bill stories. Um I remember when Bill did uh Martin, did an episode of Martin. Yeah. <laughs> and um Bill had a conversion van that Actually, Lonnie Matt used to drive him around, and I remember coming back to Houston after I had left, yeah. and Bill riding around in this big conversion van, and he's like, yo, I got the episode of Martin, I mean, man, I want to check it out, so we sitting in this van, and Bill breaks out a, a 50 box of squishers, <laughs> and, and rolled every single one of them. <laughs> while we sat there and watched. <laughs> Get hell ripped. <laughs> now, um, we had a meeting, a rap a lot meeting, where all the groups came to Shepherd Avenue and um had a meeting with Jay and um road manager Les Chief was there. And after the meet, it was my birthday, the same day as my birthday that the meeting was. So we all went to my house. Yeah. I was staying with my mother-in-law at the time, and my son was like seven years old. Well, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We in the house, Bill's there. My son wakes up and sees somebody his height <laughs> and thinks that, it's time to get up and play because there's another kid in the house. <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to tell Bill, I'm like, yo, Bill, be quiet, man. You know, my mother-in-law got to get up in two hours to go to work. She used to drive for Metro. And right. um, I was like, come on, this is me, man. You know you invited me here. You know I was going to turn up, you know. Yeah. Bill was turning up before turning up was popular. <laughs> Way before turning up was popular. Bill, Bill could tell you how to turn up. And when 1990 hit, Bill was the king of the turn-up. So my son is like, well, if he up, why can't I be up? And I had to explain to him that Bill was a grown man, that they were just the same height. 
<laughs> and to this day, my son still remembers. How's your little friend doing? <laughs> now my son is six four. Yeah. And and he, you know, he still remembers. He's like, man, how's Bushwick Bill doing, man? <laughs> like he ain't your height no more. <laughs> so, That's but funny. yeah, man, Bill Bill is a pure soul too. Um, yeah. Ain't no bullshit with Bill. You know, right. Bill is gonna be Bill today, tomorrow, and the next day. And you always know what you get with Bill. Yeah. If Bill don't like you, you yeah, yeah. If if Bill don't like you, you know Bill don't like you. He ain't gonna front like he do like you. Yeah. He's gonna let you know. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> right. You might want to get some around me. <laughs> but yeah, Bill, Bill used to tear up television so he could get the next, you know, a new one come out. He get mad because you know every six months. They updating everything. Yeah. He, he buy the baddest TV out in January. Right. April, the new one come out. Bill mad. He gonna, uh, I can't throw this TV off the balcony and, and go get the new one. <laughs> Bill, you're wasting televisions, man. <laughs> That's crazy. But Bill got a good heart, man. Bill, Bill will will do. He'll bend over backwards for you, man. And and he all about seeing the um the good in everybody yeah. and doing the right thing. That's what's up. All right. Yeah. So um, so so when 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 did you finally leave Rap a Lot? We left Rap a Lot in ninety one, I believe. 90 or 90, let me see. It might have been 90. And we kind of, what happened was we acquired an outside manager at some point. Um, it was a guy who had been involved with us before we got with Rap-A-Lot. He kind of backed off for a minute and then kind of, came forward when things fell apart with the A&M thing. Yeah. Right. Started, like, helping us out getting shows and stuff like that. So he also had a record label. It was a minor label down in Louisiana, and we that's where the second album was due to come out on. Oh, okay. Okay. We did put out a single called DSL on that label. Okay. DCS record. It was DCS record. Huh. Okay. So, um, what was that? The only label y'all was, um, uh, that y'all was working with? Was y'all looking for any other labels to sign with? Mm-mm. Not really. At the time, um, like I said, we were going through personnel changes. My brother moved back to New York and stayed. Yeah. In, in 1990, he. We both left in 90. I came back in 90, and he stayed. When I came back in 90 is when BPM Productions came into existence. Okay. And that's where, that's the studio that ultimately the Ghetto Boys ended up coming through, Gangsta Nip, and right. a couple other folks. Actually, the, the uh, Mind Playing Tricks on Me video is shot in, BP, in what was BPM Productions studio. That's the crazy. kitchen scene, the yeah. bedroom scene, um, all of that is actually the studio. That's crazy. That, that's the kitchen in the studio. Wow. And, and the, the bedroom is actually the, the lobby. It's a little house that sits in front of Sound Art Studio up on the north side off of, um, what is it? How is husband so long? 290? I think it's 290 that goes. What goes to um the school that uh, Premier and them went to? Uh, I'm not sure. What school is they? Um, they didn't go to TSU. What's the, the next closest HBCU? Prairie View. Yeah, Prairie. 
is it two ninety that takes you out to a Prairie View? I think it's two ninety. It's up to six ten and two ninety. Okay. Is where the studio was. Did you ever get to uh um uh do stuff with Premier or anything or? We did a show with Premier. I want to say at Prairie View. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was a show at Prairie View, and all of us performed. Okay. Look, did did you uh, get to doing the work with Grover Washington Jr.? Say that again. Did you ever get to doing the work with Grover Washington Jr.? Yes, I did. Well, y'all been wow. doing our research, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you asked a question that you already knew the answer to, obviously. <laughs> 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 okay, okay, all right. So now I know you've been doing your homework. All right. Go over mm-hmm. Washington, Jr. Um, when I moved back to Philadelphia in 1993, the church that I was going to, um, one of their music directors is a gentleman named Donald Robinson, who was Grover Washington's music director. Right. Play keyboards. And so in doing sound at the church, Donald and I kind of hooked up. And when they went in to work on what ultimately became Grover Washington's last studio album, I helped Donald on two of the songs. So I did get production assistant credit for two songs on Prime Cuts 2000. Prime Cuts 1999, I think it's called. Road his last studio album. It's got a blue cover and a picture. Right. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can find the liner notes on it, I am... I am listed on uh, as a production assistant on two songs on the album. Wow! That's yeah, I mean, he, yeah, because he he one of the greatest man. Because yeah. a lot of yeah, because a lot of people don't know uh, Grover the Washington Jr. did the uh, did all the music for the Cosby Show. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 yeah but uh, so uh, what all you got going on nowadays? Uh, at the moment, I'm working on scoring and doing, like, sound effect edits on a short film for a cousin of mine. Cool. Cool. Um, so I'm still doing audio. I'm doing a lot of um, live sound for anybody and everybody. A couple of weeks ago, I did 43 rap acts. And yeah. in between, like, local, local type yeah. rap acts. And then... Mario, Rich Homie Kwan, Rallo, um, DJ Luke Nasty, and Uncle Murder. Uncle Murder, hell yeah. yeah. That was a show here in Greenville. Where oh, I'm at. I'm in Greenville, North Carolina. That's what's up. Okay, okay. We kind of do some big things here and working with some labels here. Um, Nothing. There's no major labels in this area. Raleigh's probably the closest place that has any real major music push. But yeah. um, they're doing some things down here in the two five two. Look out for them. Um, right. It's a label called JCMG, Just Chill Music Group. I'm um, okay. heavily affiliated with them. Kind of like a vice president in charge of A and R. I'm working with a guy from Set One Music Group. Man, Dirty Nichols. Okay. Right. My son, Brent King Casey. He's got right. a mixtape up on Dot Piff, um, Pimpin' Chronicles. I'm sorry, Pimpin' Protege. Okay. Okay. It's out there. You can download that. Check that out. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. So uh, what, what's your take on today's music versus what it was 20 years ago? Wow. 
if I could understand half of what these guys was talking about, maybe I could, <laughs> I, I could comment. But until somebody gives me the cheat sheet for understanding this mumble rap stuff, yeah, 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 I, I, I think I'm just too old. You know, now I see what what my dad used to say when we were rapping. <laughs> that you know, back in the the, the late seventies and early eighties, and my dad, yeah. you know, saying, "What what are y'all mumbling about?" But we weren't mumbling. But I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm at that age now where I just don't understand. But the minute the minute I can understand what they're saying, I I'll let y'all know. That's the I'm right with you. Yeah. But I mean, there's some stuff out here now. Don't don't get me wrong. There's some stuff out here that, you know, that I'm I'm digging on. It's a lot of a lot of independent stuff, man, is is gonna end up cutting through. And yeah. once the um we as a, a conglomerate of artists and music buying people realize the setup. You know, all we're doing is perpetuating uh, the ability for them to keep their privatized prisons full um, by singing yeah. about a bunch of unlawful stuff and doing things that ultimately end up either end up in your death or your incarceration, which is what they want. So if the powers that be want that, that's not what I want. So when they stop talking about, you know, hanging in the trap house and I'm cooking this up and, okay, well, what about your sister who gets hooked on that? How do you feel about that? Let me hear what you got to say about that. And then when you can tell me about that, then I'll listen to you and, add some credence to what you're talking about. But other than that, all you're doing is perpetuating what they're trying to do, and that's the destruction of us. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I ain't mean to get too deep on y'all. I'm, I, I, I'm trying to stay away from the politics, but, nah, but it is, but it is what it is. You, you know. That's real. Yeah. So, and uh, being an old cat, you know, I, I got grandchildren, you know. Yeah. And, and I don't want to see my grandchildren have to come up in a society where my granddaughters, the only thing they want to do is twerk, and my grandsons, all they want to do is is trap. Well, there's other things to do, and your grandfather can show you that there's a whole bunch of things you can do. Because I've done just about everything in my lifetime. Right. So it's all possible. I mean, we've had a black president. Yep. Right. Right. We've had the most beautiful first lady in the world ever. Yes, sir. And she was black, so, you know, these kids can do something other than, than what the the current state of the music scene is perpetuating. Yeah. Exactly. And, we, and that's what we need to get back to, that's all. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come down off my soapbox now. I'm done preaching. <laughs> 100, 100. Yeah, so look, by you being a producer, uh, what what's the what's the difference in uh the productions and you know going into the uh doing work in the studio today versus the way it was back then? You know when you had to have all the sound boards and the samplers and you know and today you know everything is basically software. Uh huh. Well, around here and in several other circles, I am the king of software. So I have made the transition from being like a hardware producer with yeah. like an MPC. I have a Roland MV8000 in my possession right behind me. Right. But I also have Native Instruments machine. Yeah, yeah. That's the shit right there. So, I mean, when it comes to software, you name it, I probably have it. That's what's up. And I've always been the the, the person that people call. For a long time, I never had my own equipment. Right. A long time. Like the entire time I was with Def 4, I never owned my own sampling drum machine. Wow. Yet I would get phone calls on how to work. Yo, how do you do this on so-and-so and so-and-so? 
I've never yeah. owned an SP1200, but I can tell you how to work it. Right. right. I've never physically owned myself an MPC60. Right. I can tell you how to work it without it being in front of me. Right. I I now own a EPS 16 plus rack mount. I have that now. I didn't have one before, yeah. but I had people that would call me. When I was in Philadelphia, they called me from Texas right. to, to tell them how to do something on the EPS. That's what's up. But that's just from, from being on those machines for so long. I didn't even have to be in front of them kind of tell right. you that. But, yeah. but it's been a couple <laughs> of years and a, and, a, and a bunch of blunts later, so. That's what's up. I, I, I yeah. probably forgot half of that stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, thank you. You got something you want to ask? Um, yo, keep checking out Graffiti Talk Radio. Brothers got something going on here, man. That's what's up. Support, support is real. One hundred. That's enough. Yeah. You might yeah. learn something. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So, thank you. You got something you want to ask? Um, I just wanted to know uh, when you're not doing music or you're not producing or whatever. Um, who do you listen to? That's funny that you ask. I don't listen to anybody. (laughs) And and the reason why is because I'm surrounded by music all the time, so I'm always listening to something. If I'm not doing sound for somebody, a band (laughs) or Somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I just did a, a cover group of Billy Joel and certain Elton John, which Crazy. is the weirdest thing. But I did front of house. You know, I mixed front of house with them. I put that up on Facebook Live. Like, yeah, with Elton John and, you know, y'all know who Strafe is? Set it off on the left. I was sound man for him for a long time. Oh, Matter of fact, during 1990. When I was back up in New York, I was his sound right. man. I was sound wow. man for um, Yarborough and Peoples. Wow. Who tried to do a comeback right there in Houston mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Yeah. So I've been I've been rolling around with a couple of folks. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I guess that that's it. Um. Uh, you know, and there you have it, everybody. You know, another uh, hip-hop backstory told by another hip-hop legend. If we don't talk about it because it didn't happen yet. So, peace. May old school hip-hop live forever. Yes, indeed. One love, y'all. One love. Appreciate it. All right.